So we've been spending the past month together digging into the New Testament book of Philemon. It's this tiny little book, 25 verses, and today is our final installment. One of the things I love is every time we jump into uh, a book of the Bible as, as a church, we just come away with, I don't know about you, but so much more than we were expecting to get into. It's 25 verses. It's, it's, a, it's an odd little book. What are we going to get out of this? And has God blessed your heart through this? I mean, he really has me and uh, just have learned so much and grown so much. And so I'm just, just thankful uh, for God's word. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at peacemaking. Now, with two boys who are 22 months apart, I have some experience. And so they're, they're best friends and they're arch enemies. And so uh, I, I feel like I'm just constantly uh, just doing my best to prevent World War III to break out in my home. And uh, I'm just always running around just trying to, trying to keep the peace, you know. And I feel like I need a, a whistle, like I'm a referee or something. Anybody? You got that going on at your house too? Uh, but, you know, as I was thinking through it lately, I've kind of been scrolling through social media and I also feel like I need a whistle. I feel like I need to kind of referee some things. And uh, it seems like everybody post-election is shouting at each other. Everybody's upset about something. Everybody has the facts. Everybody is correct. And everybody else is wrong. And so what do we as God's people do? Do we scream louder? I don't think so. I think God's word instructs us. Here's what we do. We make peace. Matthew chapter 5 Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. That's us. The sons and daughters of God, we are our peacemakers. And so my initial question to, to present to all of us this morning is, are you a peacemaker? Sit with it for a second. Are you a peacemaker? Well, Josh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm at peace with God. I'm at, I'm at peace with other people. But hear me. Are, are you a peacemaker, not a peace enjoyer alone, but a peacemaker. I hope that we all get to enjoy peace because of God sending his son Jesus to reconcile us to right relationship with God and with each other. So I hope you get to enjoy peace, but, but we're also called to, to make peace, that our God is a God of peace, and he sent his son Jesus into the world to give us peace. In John chapter 14, verse 27, listen to what, what Jesus says. He says, my peace I, I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I, I give my peace to you. And so, so how does he give peace to, to everybody else who needs peace today? Well, at least one way that, that he chooses to do that is by leaving us with his peace, and then calling us to then go and to be peacemakers as we leave this place today. I met a man years ago who his best friend was, uh, was a well-known founder of a well-known hotel chain. And, and this man uh, got, got cancer at a young age, so he died at a young age. And before he passed, he, he put together this foundation. And, and uh, he, he sold his hotel chain and put together this foundation. And he designated the funds to, to go towards ministry throughout all of New England. 
Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut. He wanted the funds to go to ministry throughout New England because as a child, he grew up with his dad going on some business trips uh, from down south to New England. And, and his dad just really instilled in his heart, son, I think God is up to something here. And, and then he really believed deep in his heart that the next great move of God in our nation would take place in New England, just like it came to New England, spread across the, 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 the nation. And, and he says, I think the next great move of God is going to be here in New England. And so when this man uh, had cancer, sold his hotel chain, sets up this foundation, he then says to his best friend, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a job. And here's your job is you're to take this fund and, and I'll give you a salary that will be with you for the rest of your life. And, and, and you just take this fund and I want you to travel throughout New England and just, just Jesus Santa Claus, right? Just bless ministries, see where God's moving, and, and, and just, just support ministries so that we can be a part of what God's doing in New England. In fact, the, the first year of, of the life of this new church, uh, they came along and, and blessed us and helped us get off the ground. It was, it was just absolutely incredible, and so we're really grateful to them. Uh, and so when we think about uh, enjoying peace, which we, we should have with God. But if we, we, we go that route without making peace, it would kind of be like this best friend saying, thank you for the salary, but neglecting to then go all over New England and sharing the resources. I mean, how awful would that be, right? I mean, it would just, just be awful. And, and likewise, we are called to, yes, enjoy peace, but also to go and to make peace. And so think about it with me for a second. What exactly is a, a peacemaker? A peacemaker is, is a middleman. A middleman or a go-between between two parties who are at odds with each other. That person, a peacemaker, is a, is a reconciler. And so in a world that is still under the effects of sin as we are currently in, relationships just, they get frustrated. It's just a, a, a reality. Relationships are going to get frustrated and people need help in the process, right? And, and so sometimes siblings need help. Sometimes college roommates need help. Sometimes marriages need help. Sometimes coworkers need help. Sometimes members of churches need help. And that's just, that's just normal because we live in a world where sin is still, still doing its, its work in, in hearts. And, and so do we have a responsibility to then help those people who are at odds? We do. Because Jesus says you are to be peacemakers, Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are to be ministers of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and that's exactly what Jesus was, right? Jesus was a reconciler. Jesus was a, a peacemaker. Our sin ultimately is sin against God, the one who made us, the one who breathed into us the, the breath of life. And so we all have been at odds with God and, and God who made us to, to walk with us. Uh, we then sinned against, when we sin against him, he could have just said, fine. I'm done with you. You can, you can have your own way. You can walk in, in animosity towards me. You can walk opposite of me. And he could have just left us. And our relationship with, the, with him would have been frustrated. But that's not what God does, is it? God then chooses to pursue us. And, and he, he chases us down. He sends us his son, Jesus, who, who lives on this earth as a man, perfectly sinless, and yet he dies the death of a sinner upon the cross, paying the price, the payment for our sin. And so the cross of Jesus is really the, the bridge between that great chasm between God and, and man. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 5 says that there's one mediator between God and man, and it is Jesus. He is 
Jesus. And, and so if that was him, our Lord, who we trust in, that's also to be us who are, are called to be Christ-like. We are to be peacemakers, refusing to see relationships that are frustrated and just leave them alone. We should be about pursuing peace, not just for ourselves with God, but pursuing peace for other people. And in this little letter to Philemon, that's exactly what Paul is doing. He's kind of the Christ figure in this book. He is helping reconcile two people who are at odds. And so if you're not there, flip there with me. The book of Philemon, uh, and no shame using your table of contents, tiny little book, 25 verses. If you need a Bible, we've got Bibles throughout the room, and you can grab one and uh, bring it home if you don't have one at home. Uh, This is just a great, again, great, great little book, uh, the book of Philemon. And so while you're turning there, Paul is, is locked up for sharing Jesus. He's, he's in prison for sharing Jesus. And the great irony here is that though he is locked up, he is released. He's released to, to, to live differently. He's released to relate with people in a, in a different way because of what Jesus has done in his life, because of the reconciling power of God. And so from prison, Paul writes to his friend Philemon in the city of Colossae where Paul had at one point ministered. And Philemon now has a church that's meeting in his home. And so he's naturally a bit of a leader in the church. And the people are coming into his place and, and having church and looking to him. And, and yet there's something going on. There's, there's some, some frustration that's happening uh, with Philemon and, and, and another person who was once in his life. And that person, his name is Onesimus. And Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. Now, let me be clear because throughout the series we keep addressing this when you hear slavery don't necessarily think 19th century western slavery is very much different than uh, than it was uh, later on in uh, 19th century western slavery it wasn't a racial issue and, and not saying that it's okay but we're just saying it was very very different it, in some cases it was an employee employer relationship some people slowed, sold themselves into slavery so that they could be an indentured servant so they could actually have a better life and, and some people were doing it to pay off a debt and so he has this slave and it was a slave of a different situation than maybe our minds go straight to but what happens is this slave Onesimus steals from his master Philemon and he takes off to Rome so that he can hide out in this this big city. And yet by the sovereignty of God and God's sovereign hand in relationships, we believe that God has sovereign hand in our relationships. You ever met somebody and go, this is crazy. I mean, how did this... You're clearly a blessing from the Lord. The fact that our, our paths cross is just an amazing gift of God. And God is sovereign in relationships. And so by the sovereign hand of God, these guys, Paul and Onesimus, get to meet in Rome. And I love how J.D. put it last week. He said, maybe, maybe Paul went on Facebook and was like, oh yeah, my new friend here. Then, Whoa, you know? You know so and What? I know him too. Wait, what's your relationship? Uh, well, um, he's got a lot of nice stuff. And it's here at my place in, in Rome, right? And, I mean, it's just crazy, right? And so he had stolen from him and, and, and run away. And, and Paul leads Onesimus to Jesus. He tells him about the, the life-changing power of Jesus and, and how Onesimus needs Jesus. And Onesimus comes to faith in Jesus. And eventually, Paul has to give him some tough words. And he says, here's the deal, my man. You need to go back. You need to make this thing right. And can you imagine... Or, I mean, I don't know about you, but my initial reaction would be like, I don't think so. <laughs> like, Jesus is awesome, but um, that's craziness. And then eventually, I would imagine he disciples him to where he's at a place where now he's willing to go back and actually carry the letter himself. 
Philemon to Philemon. And can you imagine? Take the letter first. And he hands him the letter. Just read it. Just don't kill me. Read it. And he reads the letter. And, and, and when he reads the letter, as we've read through this letter, as we've studied through this letter, it, it, it's an encouragement from Paul to Philemon to take him back. But how does how he encourage to take him back? No longer as a slave, more than a slave, as a brother. As a brother. And that's what Jesus does is he takes people who are way different. He takes people who are at odds with each other and he causes us to be, causes us to be family. And he says, Philemon, I want you to let him off the hook. Forgive him of the debt, emancipation, forgiveness, friendship, peace, reconciliation. That's what Jesus does. Now, before we gloss over that and say, wow, wow that's, that's really cool. Praise God. Think with me for just a moment about these three people. Paul and Philemon and Onesimus. You could not ask for three more different people to come together. I mean, think about this. You've got a Jew. You've got a Gentile. And historically, there's been some serious animosity. A lot of the Jewish people had this kind of ethnocentric thing going on. We're so much better than them. And, and the Gentiles said, those guys are weird. They do weird stuff. And, 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 and they depressed them when they had the, 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 the power and back and forth. And, and that was weird. And then there's this, this slave. And in that culture, you were enslaved because of something that you did. And in, in a lot of people's minds, you earned this. Or you made a, a poor financial decision. Or, or this is God's this is God's punishment on you, perhaps. And so they were just at odds with each other. I mean, just can you just imagine, and I'm sure you could probably think of something, can you just imagine the three most extreme at odds people that you could possibly imagine today and, and God just reconciling them? I, I could just probably throw out maybe somebody whose name rhymes with rump and, um, and, and maybe... Uh, somebody named Clinton and, and maybe an ISIS leader and just, and they're holding hands and singing Kumbaya and, fa- I mean, it's, what? This is, I mean, it's just absolute craziness. This reconciliation that's happening here is, is insane. And, and yet I wonder, as we think, even politically speaking, in this, this crazy, crazy climate that we find ourselves in as a nation, I wonder even if politically speaking, if peace was an option among all of us, if we would even want it. I wonder if in, in, in some weird way we enjoy it. I know Saturday Night Live does. I'm making a killing off of it. I wonder if, if somebody that you're at odds with, if peace was even an option, if in some weird way you almost wouldn't choose it. Because maybe for you, you're, 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 enjoy, you're nursing this bitterness that, that is in your heart. And God's saying, I have made a way for reconciliation. And I want you to pursue reconciliation. And I want you to be a peacemaker. And so throughout our study, we have seen much of the how of reconciliation. We've seen things like the foundation of how we love. We, we've seen careful communication. Last week we saw forgiveness. And, and, and for the next, just the next few minutes together, what I want to see is just the makeup of a peacemaker. Not so much the how, but the, the who, the what's going on in our own hearts. And so can we just take a moment to, to think about that? What's going on in the heart of, of someone who is making peace the way Jesus has commanded us to, to go and to make 
peace. And, and we're going to move kind of fast because I want, to, I want to do something together at the end. But, but here's the first characteristic of a peacemaker, if you're taking notes. And, and that is a peacemaker is willing to get involved. Peacemaker is willing to, to get involved. If you look with me at Philemon uh, verse 17, listen to what he says. He says, so, Philemon, Paul to Philemon, so if, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. So he says, hey, hey Philemon, to his buddy back in class, hey, Philemon, here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you that you really should take Onesimus back. Maybe you got mixed feelings when he comes back, or maybe you, you feel weird when you see that person in the, the grocery store, or you, you, you cross paths with them on the bus or on the train or at the apartment complex, and you see them, and you just want to look the other way or kind of look down, or, oh, i got, got to look at my phone and pretend like you don't see him. He says, mm-mm, you need, a, you, need a, you need to deal with this. You need to take him back. Notice what Paul, Paul did here. He got involved in a situation that he could have easily just ignored he could have easily just ignored the situation the lack of peace is between those two i'm not struggling with the lack of peace i'll just leave them alone or that's their marriage i'll i'll leave them alone or 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 their family members that i'll leave them alone or or i'm good with both of them they're my family members but they're the problem and so i'll just i'll just leave them alone my coworkers, that's going crazy over there and i'm not getting involved because because i don't want to get dragged in by the boss looking at me and thinking that i have something to do with i'm just gonna i'm gonna leave it alone You could just say, I'm going to deal with my own relationship. I am going to ignore it. Or I could not ignore it and I could willingly get involved into the situation. And and some of you are thinking, I hate this sermon already. Like, I hate this. This is not good because the last thing I need in my life is more drama. Like, why would I I want to invite more drama into my life? I prefer just to stay out of it. And let me just say this. Listen, me too. I, I don't like drama. I really don't like drama. In fact, if you enjoy drama, some people, you know what I'm talking about? You enjoy drama, you, you ask for drama, you want drama. Dump that person, by the way. But if you, I'm just saying, this, that was free right there. But if you like that, if you're, if you're looking for those opportunities, something is off, right? You, you are the kind of person, 2 Thessalonians 3.11 talks about it. It says that some of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, and our busy bodies. You enjoy that. You want to be up in other people's business all the time. So, so don't be a busy body. You have to have some grounds for involvement, some, some, some reason. Paul knew these men, and he didn't just go looking for what, whose business can I get up in, right? He, he knew these men. He, he loved these men. Don't be a busy body. Don't be contentious. But ask, should I get involved here? And if so, how do I get involved in a way that would honor God? Paul got involved into a situation that he could have just, he could have just ignored. And I believe that that's true, not just in, in this particular area, but across the board for us as believers, that there are so many scenarios that we probably should get involved in and we don't get involved in. That we just ignore it. Because when we think about sin, a lot of times we just think about what we call the sins of commission. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, right? Whatever it is, I don't know, right? The things that we do. But a lot of times I think our greatest sins are the things that we don't do, that we should be doing, the things that we should be involved in, right? Ignoring the needs of people around us. 
I mean, real tangible needs that we could, we could forego the, 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 the new nails and we could meet that need. Or we could forego a latte and we could, we could meet that need, right? We could, we could do something about it. God's given us as, as his people resources that, that, that we could help people, right? Maybe that's it. Or, or, or maybe it's fatherlessness. that we man, I see fatherlessness like crazy in this neighborhood. It breaks my heart. And maybe we could do something. Maybe we could, maybe we could invest in a teenager. Maybe we could help somebody out. Things that we could do. God calls us to be the salt of the earth. Salt is, is, it provides flavor, of course, but it also is a preservative. And, and, and if we don't do it as the people that God puts the onus on, who will do it? He says it should be us. So we could just overlook it, or we could do something. I had a college buddy, and... Uh, Shortly out of college, uh, he got married, and I was in his wedding, and then, then I got married, and he was in my wedding, and, and then he uh, was an officer in the army and got commissioned out to Afghanistan, and uh, went out to Afghanistan, and he and I would stay in touch, and distance between our relationship just started because it was just really hard to communicate while he was in Afghanistan, but I remember some of our conversations, him saying to me, like, it is there's nobody following Jesus out here. I, I got nobody. I mean, I just, I am all alone in this thing. And, and then I eventually, over time, found out that his marriage was really, really struggling. And I, I mean, I really hurt over that. I mean, it really, it really was, was hard for me. You know, some of you remember the first time a peer of yours, their marriage just got busted up and fell apart. And I remember that for me. It was really, really tough. And I, I really did struggle over, okay, well, now the times we're speaking is just to kind of check up. How's it, do I get involved in this? Like I, I could just stay out of this, just leave it alone. But do I get involved in this? I mean, I know he doesn't have any kind of, he's already told me he doesn't have any kind of like Christian fellowship out there. Nobody's talking Jesus with him. And what's, what's my place in this? And I really struggled because I could have just stayed out of it. And our, our memories could have been just all the great memories of college and the goofy stuff we did together, right? And the late nights and all of that. But I really prayed, and okay, I got to do this. And I, I started to, to try to reach out to him because I, I had this sense of, if not me, then who? I've told you guys so many times, Acts chapter 17, Paul says, God has appointed the boundaries of your habitation. In other words, God has put people in your lives and, and you and other people's lives on purpose for a reason. And perhaps we have these great memories when we were younger so that in this situation, when he is isolated, he has nobody who loves Jesus, but we have this means of communication. I can talk to him. And so, and so I did. Which leads to the, the, the second characteristic of a peacemaker that I want to give you. And that is that a peacemaker is self-sacrificing. Peacemakers self-sacrificing. If you look with me now at verse 18, let's read it. He's, here's this request, receive him. Then he says, and if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Charge that to my account. So he says, listen, you really should take him back. And when you take him back, don't arrest him. Don't have him stoned. Don't hold it against him. Treat him like family. And, and, and listen, if he owes you anything, you just charge that to me. Which, I don't, I don't know, I, re- I really wonder, I want to ask this one of the, I got lots of questions lined up that I might be asking people when I get to heaven. And one of the things I'm going to say, Paul, did you really have any money to pay that back? Or were you just kind of assuming that, I mean, you're in prison right now, so I'm assuming you probably didn't have any money to pay that back. Well, oh yeah, you just charge, that's like me saying, hey, I got you, right? And oh, I don't have, a, I, I left my wallet at home. Anybody ever pull that? That's like classic college trick right there. I got you. Oh, oh man, I'm sorry, right? And uh, 
do you see how this might not have been so well received by Philemon? Paul's request. You see how when Paul says, take him back, Philemon, would you do that? How Philemon might be like, whose side are you on? <laughs> like, I thought we were, what do, you, what do you mean take him back? What do you mean forgive him? What do you mean let them off the hook? I, I thought you were on my side. And he says, I'm, not on, I'm on the side of Jesus, guys. I, I want what's best for the kingdom of God. I want what's best so that we can, can honor the Lord and not bring reproach on his name. And we have two people who profess to love Jesus and yet are at odds with each other. That's whose side I'm on. I'm on, I'm on everybody's side. I'm on the, the kingdom of God's side. I'm, I'm on the glory of the Lord's side, right? So, so back to my buddy in Afghanistan. I had to be on the side of truth. And as I started to, to work and, and, and wrestle through some of this stuff with him, I eventually found out that he had been getting emotionally involved, not physically, but emotionally involved in another woman's life. It was really, really too, too close. And so I had to bring it up. And it was uncomfortable for him, of course, but it was also very uncomfortable for me. And it was this this element of sacrifice, like, oh, gosh, I don't want to do this. This is so awkward. You had those hard conversations. And yet, maybe those memories from college kind of get outweighed by these heavy, heavy conversations. How was Paul willing to, to sacrifice? We've touched on some of these already through this series, but just think with me about how Paul is sacrificing in this relationship. First of all, of course, he's entering into this uncomfortable conversation with these, these two guys and potentially losing at least maybe one friend, potentially, right? And uh, here, let me just say this as an aside, that, that when it comes to your relationships and having these tough conversations, and maybe the tough conversation is sharing Jesus with somebody eventually, not abrasively. The Bible says we're to talk about Jesus, the reason for the hope that we have with gentleness and respect. But when you have those conversations, they, they, can, be, they can be tough, and, and you have to ask yourself, you have to really assess your own heart. Do I love more the friend or the friendship? Who do I love more, the, the friend or the friendship? Because some of us, I've been guilty, I love the friendship more than I love the, the person. I love what we get out of this and, and what I get out of this more than them. So it keeps me from being willing to share hard truths sometimes because I know that it puts our relationship in, in a tricky scenario if they don't respond in a certain way. Does it make sense? And, and so Paul is putting this, on, that's self-sacrifice right there. I'm, I'm willing to, 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 to lay this down. Or maybe the, the friendship, what I've seen so often is, is the friendship gets, gets weird for months, sometimes years, and I've seen people come back and say, wow, that was hard. Thank you for doing that. Not all the time, but sometimes that happens. Thank you for, for doing that. Or, or maybe another, another way that he sacrifices that even if they, even if they remained, all, all of them remain friends, he sends Onesimus away, and he had already talked about previously in this, this little letter how, how much of a blessing Onesimus had been, right? Caring for him and, 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 and just a great friend. He says, he's my own child in the faith. I mean, so you have, you're, you're in prison and you have somebody who can come visit you and spend time with you and you're sending him away. That's a sacrifice that he was willing to do for the, for the right reasons. And another sacrifice, of course, as we talked about, is that he's willing to put his money where his mouth is. He's saying, listen, if he owes anything, charge it to me. Just charge it to my account. I'll take care of it. Just a beautiful example of the sacrifice of Jesus, right? The sacrifice of Jesus. And the reality is there's this principle that, that we need to understand that whenever there is sin committed, there's always a cost, right? Whenever you have to forgive somebody, what you're saying is, I'm incurring the debt. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that on. 
right? I'm, forget, I'm releasing you of that. And Paul is saying, release him, I'll take the debt, right? Jesus took the debt by forgiving us of our sins and die. he took the debt, right? It cost him his life. And so Paul is, is being a peacemaker and he's willing to, to sacrifice here. You must understand the example of Jesus. You, you've got to understand the example of Jesus and the personal risk of Jesus. Otherwise, you're not going to willingly put yourself in risky situations. But listen, nothing great happens in this life apart from personal risk. Nothing. And this beautiful, great thing can take place. Should Paul risk some things here? Should Onesimus risk his life by going back? Nothing great happens apart from personal risk. Whether it's stock market investment, maybe you made some money, do you have to take a risk? Or childbirth, there's risk in childbirth. Peacemaking, it's risky, it's sacrificial, it can be costly, it can be difficult. But it's, it's so important, self-sacrificing. Here's the third characteristic of a peacemaker. Peacemaker is properly motivated. Peacemaker has got to be properly motivated. You've got to check your motives if you're going to try to, to get up in business and, and make some peace. You've got to be really mindful of, of what's going on in my heart. And so look at 19. Look at 19. He says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And so, yeah, we've already pointed out in previous weeks the, the care that Paul takes with this situation. Listen, don't blurt anything out that's, that's of, of importance. If anything's important, it needs to be premeditated when you deal with it, right? So here's what I'm, I'm going to write this out with my own hand. And if you look at some of Paul's other letters, he, he dictates them. He speaks them, perhaps because he's beaten and laying down somewhere. Because like, he just went through beating after beating for sharing Jesus. And, and, but yet this one, he says, I'm taking the time. I'm writing this out with my own hand. This is so important. And he's writing it out. And then he, he, he also then says that I want some refreshing. I want some benefit from you, Philemon. So, so what does this tell us? I'm writing it with my own hand. I want some benefit back from you. It, it tells us that Paul has a relationship with these two. It tells us that, that this, this thing that he's entering, it's been a two-way street. And, and so what we see is that he, he genuinely loves these guys. He says, now let me just step in and tell you what to do and you need to listen. And No, he says, you know I love you. You know, I've been praying for you. The very beginning says, Man, I thank God whenever I think about you because of how well you're, you're living your life in Colossae and how you're hosting the church in your home and you're hospitable. And, and, and you know, I love you. And, and he's establishing, we love, we're, we love each other. There's love here. And that's the motivation, is love. Listen, if your motivation in dealing with stuff is, is something other than love for God and love for people, then you gotta, you gotta back up. You really have got to back up. Do we genuinely love the people that we're dealing with? Or are we just doing it because I just know this is the right thing? They got it wrong. I'm going to step in and tell them what's right. Or are we just doing it because I'm mad? How could they do that? I'm going to step in and just, right? No. We got to slow down. Jesus in the scripture had righteous anger. We see a couple examples of that. But he's Jesus, right? Righteous anger. 
If you feel that, you better step back. You better slow down. You better check your heart. You better make sure I'm properly motivated in this thing because I'm telling you, I cannot trust my own heart. Cannot trust my own heart without God doing some serious assessment in my own life. The proper motivation is love. The proper motivation is is a desire for these two people to be released from the entrapment of bitterness and unforgiveness and strife. I want the best for you. I love you. He loved them. And so he approaches with great humility, with time, thinking about what he is going to say. And he didn't come in proclaiming to be the expert. He says, I'll talk to you. You talk to me. We'll, 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 we'll hear each other out, right? That needs to kind of be our approach is I'm going to speak and I'm going to listen. I'm going to open up some scriptures to you and it's not just going to be my opinion. And then I'd love to hear what you think because maybe people interpret scripture differently. We're going we're gonna to work through that. We're going to pray about this. I'm going to let you know I'm no better than you. I'm in this with you. I, I care for you and I love God too. And I just want to make sure there's no reproach in the name of Jesus. And so we're going, to, we're going to be cautious here. We're going to make sure that we are honoring Jesus. This is our motivation in peacemaking. And again, here's the problem. It's very hard to discern our hearts. It's very hard to discern our own motivation. The scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things. Sometimes in our head we think we're doing the right thing, but our heart, is, something's off. You ever been there? I've certainly been there. So what do we do? Galatians chapter 6 says it this way. As we help people, you keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So when we go to try to help people, we've got to be very cautious that I'm not tempted. And I'm not in this thinking I'm better than them or we've got this self-righteousness thing going on when I'm, I'm dealing with people. I'm just going in humble, being cautious, Psalm chapter 139, 23 is a great one. And I use this, I probably quote this scripture every other week in prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. God, I'm going to do something. I feel like this is, but you tell me, stop me. If, if I'm going about it with the wrong motivation, I've got a wrong heart in this. Proper motivation. Proper motivation. One more, last one. Characteristic of a peacemaker is that he or she is cautiously optimistic. Look at verse 21. It says, Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. I love the optimism here. I mean, this is great. I know that you will do what I've asked you to do, and I know that you'll do it. And even more than, than what I said, you will take him back, you will treat him like a brother, and you won't take my money, <laughs> right? That would be great, right? He just, I, I believe it, this is going to be, and he's optimistic. And where does this optimism come from? Think about it. Does the optimism, if you're familiar with Paul's theology, especially the book of, book of Romans, his optimism is not faith in humanity. I got no faith in myself, I got no faith in people, I've seen people surprise me all the time. I've surprised people. He has no faith in humanity. Where's his optimism? Faith in God. I know that God is able to, to, to do this in your heart. I know that you love Jesus. And if Jesus has changed your heart the way he's changed my heart, I know, I'm, I'm confident that you're going to do the right thing. You can do this because God can do this. And Christ is in you, the hope of glory. 
God can do this. God can restore. God can heal. God can bring people who are at odds with each other. Extreme, extreme people like the Apostle Paul who was murdering Christians of Osama bin Laden and brings him into the room with the disciples. Man, I just, that's one of those days. I wish I was there. If I could have just seen that moment and those guys just fall on the ground, don't you? I mean, he walks into the room and they were skeptical at first when he walked into the room with those disciples. God can bring people who are so at odds with each other and he can unite us. He can do it. And Paul is optimistic. optimistic. And God can do this. God can do this. God can do this. Now, current events. How do we apply this to the day that we find ourselves in as a nation? What if we entered into this conversation, into this political environment with this kind of optimism? God can do something through this. God can make good out of this. God can restore our nation. God can bring us together. God can unite us. God can direct our president. God can direct our vice president. God can direct our mayor. God can do it. God is sovereign over everybody. He, he, he steers the hearts of, of kings, the scripture says. He, he oversees the rise and fall of nations. God's in control. We can trust him. We can believe him. We can, we can trust that he's going to provide for the, 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 the oppressed among us. We, we, we can trust him. God can do this. God can bring good out of this. Little faith in people, no matter how much power they have or how, how holy they seem, little faith in people, lots of faith in God. Lots of faith in God. Now let me clarify this point and we'll be out of here. Optimistic. For sure. But cautiously optimistic. Here's why. The Bible makes it clear. Sometimes it doesn't work. Can I say that? Going to go about being peacemakers. And yet sometimes it doesn't work. Romans chapter 12, 18 says it this way. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. In other words, when it comes to peace, you do everything in your power to work for peace. But sometimes, the Bible gives us this caveat, sometimes it's just not possible. Sometimes they're not going to budge. And that's not in contradiction to, to what the angel says in the Christmas story. With God, nothing is impossible. Because, of course, anything's possible with God. So no matter how strained this scenario is, no matter, no matter how broken your marriage is, it's possible. God can. He can. He can. If possible. In other words, sometimes God even allows strains. So that down the road, when he does and he will restore all things, and the lion will be with the lamb, when that day comes, his peace that is reigning for all eternity is going to be so incredible and, and so amazing. It's going to be, it's going to lead you to glorify him for all eternity. You're going to be blown away when you enter into his kingdom. So if possible, which means sometimes on this side of the grave, you might not see it. 
But as far as it depends on you, if you have anything to do with it, your end, you're going to fight for peace. You're going to work for peace. That is, in your own relationships with other people, if there's, if there's distance, if there's hostility, if there's frustration, if there's lack of communication, it's not going to be my fault, right? That's what you should say. It's not, I'm going I'm to fight for it. But understanding sometimes it's, it's just not going to happen. But I'm going I'm to fight for it. I'm telling you, one of the most heartbreaking realities among Christians is when Christians refuse to fight for peace with each other. He said, they will know you by your love for one another. And yet somehow Christians refuse to fight for peace. They just throw their hands up and say, I'm done, I'm out of here. Stop talking, stop answering phone calls, stop answering texts. I'm going to find another church so I can just avoid this altogether. Is that what God told us to do? God gave us ways for how to work through stuff in the church so that in the end, he would be that much more glorified. Wow, how did we get here? It's amazing. Remember when we were there and now we're here? It's so beautiful. Heartbreaking. We don't know what the outcome of Philemon and Onesimus Another one of those heaven questions. We don't know the outcome on this side of the grave. But we do know that Paul did everything that he could. And we must do everything that we can to pave the way for peace. We've got to believe. We've got to believe. And we've got to fight for it. We've got to do everything that we can so that as far as it depends on us, we can live at peace with all men. And we can help make peace. Peace. I mean, God killed his own son for peace. And if we're not willing to fight for it, if we're not willing to put ourselves in some uncomfortable situations, if we're not willing to humble ourselves, if we're not willing to to put our money where our mouth is, how shameful is that? In just a bit, we're about to celebrate communion together. We're going to come together around the table as family. Why? Because of what's right in the table right there. The cross of Jesus, right? Colossians chapter 1.20 says, God makes peace by the blood of the cross. So as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Make peace. Make peace. So here's how we close this morning. I told you I wanted to do something. And what I, really what I want to do is, is I want to pray. And, and I hate it when people say this, and I've said it too. All we can do is pray. It's not, well, that's all we can do. Like, that's the last resort. No, we can pray. Say that more confidently. We can pray, right? So we're going to pray. And we're going we're gonna to pray to God. We're going to appeal to God. God, bring peace Bring peace. I believe that you can do this. We believe that you can do this. I love 1 Thessalonians chapter 5.10. It says, we will live together with him. That's, that's eternity. Together with him. It's not just we're going to go see Jesus. and We're going to live together with him. So we know the unity is coming for all eternity. But we're going to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to pray that way. So would you do me a favor? Would you just close your eyes? Just in the stillness of this moment, I just, we're going to take a little more time than we normally do. And I'm going to invite the band to come up. But it, just in the stillness of this moment, can we, can we pray? 
together. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and then I'm going to guide you in a prayer. And so just let your heart slow down a bit. And this may be uncomfortable for you. I don't know if you've prayed today at all. I don't know if you've prayed this week, this month, or the past year beyond just thank you, Lord, for the food. But he said, my house will be a house of prayer. And if we have any cause to pray, I, I think we do right now for sure. So I'm going to direct you in prayer. Father, thank you that you hear us because of Jesus, because of our mediator between us and you. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. And so, God, as we pray, would you soften our hearts? God, as we pray, would you hear us? Would you heal us? Answer us? Bring peace. And so while your eyes are closed, the first thing I want to invite you to just pray for, just in your own seat, would you just pray for our city? Pray for the city of Boston. However God leads you to pray for the city of Boston, pray for this city. Pray for peace. Now would you take a moment to pray for our nation, the United States of America. Pray that we would be united. Pray for for peace in this, this land. And now would you take a moment to pray for who Jesus calls the least of these. What you do for the least of these, you do unto me. As you see his heart in the scripture, the least of these are widows, orphans, aliens to our, our nations, refugees, immigrants, asylum seekers. Pray for them. Again, I don't know what your political situation is, what you're thinking about all of this is, But as we pray, God softens our hearts. So pray for them. Pray now for our our newly elected leaders. And again, I don't know what your political situation is, but as we pray, God softens our hearts, and so pray for them. Pray for wisdom and direction, that they would lead us to peace. Pray for our church. Our, our church family, that God would protect us, that God would keep us unified. Ephesians 4, 3, eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. One way that we can maintain it is by praying. 
Maybe you're praying for a specific person that you're, you're having trouble with. Maybe you're just praying a, a general prayer for protection, for maintenance of the unity of the spirit that he has given us. We pray for peace. And then lastly, would you pray for your own heart? Search me, God. Know my heart. Show me if there's any way that's wicked in my heart. Lead me in your way, the everlasting way. Maybe you need to pray, God, show me how to be a peacemaker. I don't quite know my next step, but I see it and it breaks my heart. Or maybe you need to pray, God, I know that I don't have peace with you. And he's made a way through his son, Jesus. Maybe your prayer now needs to to be a prayer of surrender, of faith. God, I give my life to you. He will be so glad to welcome you, a stranger, an alien, once an enemy of God, into his family. Your heart, pray. Father, thank you again that you hear us when we pray. Thank you that we're allowed to to come to you because of Jesus, our reconciler, our mediator. And God, prevent our hearts, our minds from going to how I'm going to make peace apart from being at peace with you first. You are the answer. You are the hope. So thank you, God. We worship you. Father, as we close up this book, Philemon, I pray that it would not be an end to us working so hard to honor you in our relationships with people, our people skills. That they would be godly people skills, that there would be forgiveness, there would be clear communication, there would be humility, there would be forgiveness, there would be reconciliation. There would be glory for God for how he restores, you restore people who are far apart. God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.